need you, God. We confess. We agree in our hearts and we believe that it is by your grace that we're here. It's not by our pursuit of you, but it's by your pursuit of us. Your grace has been enough to draw us because you've caused it to draw us. And God, because of that, we stand here today claiming that you're good. Father, believing with all of us that we are called to worship you, God. So I pray tonight that you would help us to worship you in a way that we can't. God, I pray tonight that your spirit would fall upon this place and you would illuminate your word for us in a way that only the spirit can so that we could have understanding. Because without you, because without your spirit illuminating your word, nothing good will be said tonight. So God, we love you. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lead us to a place where we can see you more fully, where you can draw us into repentance, if that's where the need may be, and that you would bring us back to our feet to worship you, believing and knowing in our hearts that you're God. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, right now, the, the kids can be dismissed um, to head back to, to go and be a part of the Matthias minis. And right now, tonight, if you did not receive one of our bulletins, could you just raise your hand? Because we've got a whole bunch of extras up here. Did anybody not get one? Because we can have one come to you. All right, looks like we're pretty good. All right. If, uh, if you didn't have one for some reason, um, just look around on the, on the seats next to you or whatever, and hopefully you'll be able to snag one. Right now, as the parents are heading back to, to drop the kids off, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a little bit of activity. You guys like activities, right? All right, that was kind of weak. On the top of your bulletin, on the back, where we're going to be taking notes tonight, there is a question. It says, what are your top three favorite possessions? If that's not what the question says, that's what it's supposed to say, okay? And then underneath that, there's three different circles. What I want you to do right now is I just want you to to think for a moment about what your top three possessions are. And I just want you to write that there in each one of those circles, okay? So go ahead and do that for a second. I think we're going to have some, some fun music to play for you guys while you do that. Yeah, nice. I did this too, by the way. I did it before the service, so I didn't get out of it. All right. Now, this is what I want you guys to do. Taking those three top possessions that you just wrote on that piece of paper with a person that's right next to you, Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be somebody, if somebody you know, that's cool, somebody you don't know, but just somebody seated next to you. I want you guys to take a second and just tell them, like, why those three possessions, out of all the things that are under your care, why did you pick those three things? All right, let's do this. All right, go ahead and finish up here. I'm kind of having like this, I'm having like youth group flashbacks right now. I feel like I'm like back at youth group. All right. Now, through all that, from what we just experienced, I want you to take that now. I just want you to tuck that in the back of your mind for a moment. We're going to come back to that experience here in a second as we dive into this teaching. Tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. If you have your words, please open up there with me. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. Guys, we've got a Beautifully exciting night tonight. We're so thankful that you're here. If tonight was your first night to Matthias Lot, please know from the bottom of our pastor's hearts, our small group leaders' hearts, all of our covenant members that we are 
super excited that you're here with us tonight, and we hope that we get a chance to meet you and to help you feel welcome in our body. So let's start there. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Anytime that you hear these words, um, there was a man, we automatically know that what Luke is doing is he's indicating to Theophilus that he is about to tell a parable. And this is exactly what we get into here. A parable is a story, all right, a short allegorical story that is used to try to um, teach some type of truth. Okay, so we're diving into another parable. And check out the, the, the point of the parable as we start here in the beginning is this. There is a manager, and this um, manager has been entrusted to a master's possessions. Now, this master, we have already got to know, this master must be a very well-off-to-do guy. He's got a lot of money. You have to have a lot of money to have a manager to come in and to manage your funds. And so, as we think about this manager, we could probably kind of associate him with some type of, um, let's say like a financial planner or advisor, maybe is a, a term that we could use today, or some type of trustee that has been given these funds to oversee. And so what his role is, is trying to make a profit for his master. And so he gets to enjoy the funds of his master, he gets to, to ride his master's donkey, he gets to go to, to high-level meetings, right, and be distributing his master's funds to try to make a profit. He gets to live in his master's mansion. He gets to experience all the wonderful things as he is enjoying the benefits of working for his master. But the most important thing that we have to know about a manager, the thing that they must always do is they are investing their master's funds as they're trying to make a profit, is that they have to do everything that they do with the interest of the master in mind. Okay, you guys get that. And so everything that they're doing, they're always trying to keep the master's benefit in focus. That's what would make somebody a trustworthy steward, a trustworthy manager of their funds. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, uh, we got a slide for that, Andrew. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, we see, moreover, it is required of a steward that may be found trustworthy. The way that a steward would be found trustworthy if they were doing a good job of investing money in their master's best interest. That's a good steward. And we find out right off the bat that this steward is not being a very good steward, is he? He's wasting his master's funds. So he's forgotten the most principal rule of what it means to be a, a manager and to be investing wisely for your master. It's like he's confused his role. All of a sudden, he believes that not only now is he investing for his master, but he is investing for himself. He's lost sight of keeping his master's interest in mind, and he's wasting his funds. And so what does his master do? He calls him to account. He brings in the financial manager, and he has a meeting with him, and he tells him, you need to bring your books because we're about to open things up because I've heard that you're wasting my funds, and you're about to be fired, right? Now, for every single one of us, this is the part of the story 
where all of us like have this propensity to believe that we're somehow the master, right? Like we've already imagined ourselves. We're the master. We're on some beautiful beach in Hawaii. We're kicked back on a nice lounger, having a margarita, watching the waves roll in, listening to some bongo beats by a, a native Hawaiian that's, you know, busting them out for us. And we get a call from our manager and, you know, we're, we're making the investments, right? Like he's online doing our stock trading and he's making more money for us as we're getting to enjoy life. That's the American dream. That's where all of us want to imagine ourselves is being able to pay people to make money for us. Right now, can we all get it through our minds that we are not the masters in the story, right? We are the managers. We are the stewards in this story. A way that I want to help you guys understand this very simple fact is this. My wife and I, we have four children. And last week when I was sharing with you in the beginning of the service about the 70 to 88% of All people that are growing up in a Christian home are getting to college and they're turning away from their faith. They're walking away from the Lord. And as we wrestle and as we try to answer the question, why are Christian kids growing up and they're not continuing in their faith? I believe that the answer to that question is that a faith that is not lived at home is no faith at all. If parents just continue to bring their kids to church, but that's the only place that faith is ever expressed and experienced in worship, then children will not really believe that their faith is a faith that has to be lived in a world because their faith was only lived in church. So, what my wife and I were convinced and convicted into understanding is that we needed to begin to have family worship in our home. So that our children could see that worship wasn't just a weekly occurrence, but it was a way of life. And so what we've begun to do is we have every night, we have a Bible study where we open up their children's Bible and we dive into the Word of God and we have prayer and we sing hymns that are rich with theology, trying to help our children even subconsciously understand the beauty of God. Another thing that we do is we always try to do some type of memorization, whether it's Scripture memorization or whether we're doing like the Apostles' Creed. One thing that we've recently started doing is called catechisms. Has anybody ever heard of catechisms? All right, we're doing children's catechisms. And the way that a catechism works, it's like 150, 160 questions. And all these questions build from an understanding of who God is to some very deep understandings of Scripture. So the very first question that you would ask your child that they would respond to is, who created you? You guys would answer, who created you? God. What else did God create? God created everything. And then the third question would be, why did he create you? Why did he create you? For his glory. That's the children's catechism. That's one that we're doing. So taking that same train of thinking right now, What I want to help you understand is why we are all managers, why we're all stewards, and why we're not the masters. All right? So, Andrew, if you could put up that first question, who owns the world? God, right? Who's the master of the world? God, yes. All right, next question. What else does God own? God owns everything you guys are good this is awesome 
hope my, my children are in the back. I hope they're taking notes from you guys because you're teaching. All right, next question. Why does he own it? For his glory. Amen. Now, let's get back to your cards. When I asked you what your three favorite possessions were, how many of you left the question blank? Did anybody leave the question blank? Yeah. Why'd you? Now, you just did it because you didn't want to fill it out, bro. Don't lie. Don't lie. See, we all filled out the answers. Well, partly probably because you knew that that's what I wanted you to do, and I asked you to do it. But we quickly write down what our possessions are because as a culture, we have convinced ourselves into believing that we have personal possessions that we are the masters of. But see, if you take this very, very simple idea that that God owns the world and that God owns everything, then it's impossible for us to have possessions. Everything that we have in this world, we have because God has entrusted it to us as stewards. God is the master in the story. God has the mansion. God has the timeshare. God has the donkey. Everything in the world is His. He's got a 90-acre ranch. He has a Nissan Altima that I drive. He has my house. He has my children. He has the clothes that I'm wearing right now. God is the master. He is the owner. Everything in the world belongs to Him. And I get the opportunity to be his steward and to enjoy the beauty of what he's created and what he has given me to invest as I live this life. So what's the first rule of a steward? We must always live in such a way where we keep our master's interest in mind. Think about those possessions that you wrote down. Every single one of those possessions is not a possession, but it's been something that you've been given stewardship over. In every one of those things, look at the three things. Are you utilizing those things for God's glory? Is that your heart? Is that your intention? On my list, I wrote down things like my house. Andrew put them up for you guys. I wrote down my my bow. I like to hunt. I know it's kind of weird to see bow and iPod. I am a hunter that is kind of urban too, okay? I, I like these things. But the reality is, if I can't look at them and realize that every single one of those things I am a steward of and I must use it for God's glory, if I can't use those things for God's glory and for His purposes, then I don't need to have them in my possession, Somebody else that can use them for God's glory can have them in possession. Fortunately, I can use an iPod to listen to sermons all the time and to help prepare to be able to teach the Word and to worship. I have a house because I can host people in that house and I can bless people by having a small group and a lot family and raising my children. Can you use your possessions for the glory of God? You are a manager. You're not a master. Each of you have on your notes, you have a piece there that I want you to to fill in. Are you the master or are you the manager? And tonight, as you reflect on that question, could you just circle, without anybody trying to peek on your paper, which one you have been acting like? 
Have you been considering at all moments that you're a steward or have you been walking through this life pretending that you're the master and wasting the master's resources for your glory instead of his? Let's keep diving in there to verses 3 to 7. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then the second one, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, he told him, take your bill and make it 800. All right. So the story is starting to take a little bit of a twist here. All right. It's going to get a little bit interesting. First of all, we see now that the manager has been called in and he's speaking with the master. He knows that he's in trouble. He knows that he's gotten called out for wasting the resources of his master. And right off the bat, he begins to think about the situation. He says, Oh man, like I see those guys that dig all day and that is hard work. Can you imagine if your occupation was to take a shovel and to go out like into a field and for 10 hours of the day, all you did was you just dug. Is that appealing to anyone? In this culture, this man knew that nobody wanted to dig because it's hard work. Remember, you have this idea of the financial advisor, right? Like he's the guy that's sitting at the very nice cherry wood desk and he's got the Starbucks vanilla latte in his hand. You know, he's online like doing his, you know, online trading. Like we have this picture in our minds that if he's a financial advisor, he's probably not the most blue collar guy that we can imagine. He doesn't want to go out and use his muscles for digging. That's not what he wants to do. Then he begins to picture begging. And he says, I'm too ashamed to beg. I don't want to beg. How could he go from the guy that is the financial advisor living in the mansion to being the guy that's standing on the street holding up a sign saying, we'll work for food. He doesn't want to be that guy. So he comes up with a plan. And in this plan, what he is doing is he is thinking about his future. What does he say? I want to be welcomed into the homes of others whenever I lose my job. And so how is he going to be welcomed into the homes of others other than cheating his master from some of his funds? So he goes to people that owe his master money. There's a person that owes his master 800 gallons of olive oil. Now, 800 gallons of olive oil would have been about 150 trees. And he goes to him and he said, Hey, I know that you have this bill for my master. I want you to take this quickly and write 400. Cut your bill in half. Now, for the person that owes his master money, he's thinking, Sweet! Dude, this is like the best day ever. I just had my bill cut in half. I've got 400 extra gallons of olive oil now. Right? So then he goes to the next guy and he says, quickly, take your bill and write down 800 bushels instead of a thousand. 800 bushels of grain would have been like a hundred acres. This is a whole bunch that he is marking down to these men. 
And the reason that he's marking it down is because he wants to make friends for himself on the day that he can no longer have any contact with this, man, this master's funds. It's like he's saying, I want to be able to have a place to, to send a resume. Like, I want to have some people in my network. I want to go and have a house to stay in on the day that I get fired. Because right now I've got nothing. And so he uses his manager's funds to try to be able to accomplish this. Now, this is a place in the story where things get really, really weird. When I first read this text, like, my first inclination was, I don't want to teach this. Like, I think Mark will teach this. You know? Because I just didn't want to do this one. And one of my favorite, favorite commentators on this text, he says, his name is Robert Stein, He's a guy that I read all the time when I'm preparing for a message or just trying to understand uh, a piece of Scripture. He says that this is where this text becomes one of the most confusing pieces of the Bible. Alright? It's that confusing about what's going to happen here. When I was praying for the Spirit to illuminate the Word, this is why the Spirit needs to illuminate the Word. Because I don't have the skill and I don't have the ability to help you to be able to understand this. The Spirit is going to have to speak to your heart and He's going to have to show you and you're going to have to to pay attention because here we go. Check out verses 8 and 9 and what's going to happen here. The Master commended... You see that? He commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So, wow. Like, does the Master show up now, and He knows that He's been cut out of a ton of funds, a ton of money. Does He come in, and does He say, what were you thinking? What a horrible manager to try to lie your way out of my funds so that you could have a future place to go. You need to take every single one of those bills, you need to go and you need to have them fixed, and you need to get things in order as you clean out your desk and as you leave. Is that what he says? Does he say, you know what, we're going to call the police. Like, you are going down right now. Because you can't do this. Worse yet, does like he call all of his friends and say we're just about to have a stoning right now we're going to stone you because you have stolen my money he could have no what does he say he commends him for his shrewdness and then after this jesus makes a statement and says that the disciples which is who he is speaking to should also use worldly wealth to make friends so that they can be welcome to what eternity Now, one of the most important things that we need to understand is that he is not commending the manager for his dishonesty. That is not what he is commending him for at all. He is commending the manager for his, what? For his shrewdness. He's recognized what he has done, and he is saying In your last moments as manager, you used insecure resources 
to secure yourself a future. Even though what you did, manager, was dishonest, you made a wise use of the resources that you had left to be able to secure a place for you to go on the day that you got fired. He's looking at him and saying, that was smart. Like, I can't believe that you just did that with my money. Now, he's not happy about it. Don't get me wrong. Like, he's not jumping up and down like singing a song. He's saying, that was really shrewd that you did that. And he commends him on his shrewdness. He does not commend him on his dishonesty. And Jesus uses this story, a negative story from the world about somebody being dishonest to teach the disciples a very beautiful lesson about the way that they need to be personally shrewd Christians, followers of Jesus, being personally shrewd with the Master's resources so that we can consider the benefit of what we may be able to do with them with kingdom purposes in the future. We can use examples from the world and we can look at people and we can say, that was a really shrewd thing. Now, it wasn't honest, but it was really shrewd. You were thinking about your resources. Let's do a little bit of trivia here for a moment. Many of you may remember at the end of 2001, there was a person who saved themselves $45,000 roundabout by trading $4,000 worth of stock right before the stock was about to take a big hit. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Martha, you guys are awesome. I want all of you on my trivia team. Martha Stewart, right? Now, you may hate Martha Stewart's show. You may dislike her magazine. I think she's got a magazine. There's a whole bunch of things that you could say about Martha Stewart. And friends, check this out. Just like Jesus is doing here, I'm not commending Martha Stewart for being dishonest by being a part of insider trading. That's not what we're doing today. But what I am going to say about Martha Stewart is she is one shrewd woman. Amen? I mean, she has over $650 million worth of net value. She has done everything from modeling to being um, a personal investor, financial investor, to having a TV show, to writing a magazine. And with all the money that she has accumulated, she hasn't gone out and blown it. She's invested it. And what she did was wrong. It was completely dishonest. But we can step back and we can say that that is a shrewd woman. Now, in the same way that we can step back and look at her and say, that was shrewd, we need to be able to compare ourselves to people of the world like Jesus does. He says the people of the world are good at taking the resources that they have and trying to increase them for their own personal gain. In the like way, followers of Jesus need to be good at being shrewd with every single dollar that they have so that they can make friends for future benefit. Let me tell you what that means. We need to be using our resources to make friends for the Gospel. Let me say that another way. We need to be paying for the Gospel. We need to be paying for the Gospel to go out into all of the world. But we can't do that unless we're shrewd with our money today. Being able to invest in the gospel means being shrewd at the grocery store. It means cutting out coupons, right? 
My wife is awesome at that. I'm so thankful that I married a woman that likes to cut out coupons. I don't have that spiritual gift. Is that a spiritual gift? No, I don't think so. We, as Christians, need to be wise when we're going to the gas station. Everywhere that we go, we must be shrewd. Because if we're not shrewd with the dollars that we have, we'll never ever be able to make eternal impacts with the resources that God has given us. To help you understand this, there's a story that I want to share with you guys. And this story is a part of what has helped shape this entire night and everything that we're going to be doing. Many of you know that Matthias Lott, when we planted this church, we had a vision that was way bigger than this church. Amen? We have a vision to impact a city of people that are around us. And we have a vision to plant more churches that are gospel-centered, that believe in truth, and that believe in love, and that want to make an eternal impact for the kingdom of God. And because we have a vision to plant more churches... We desire to connect with men that have a calling to plant a church. And so the way that we have designed this process is we have a year-long church planting internship at Matthias Lot. If you believe that you are called to plant a church, we have a tract where you will come in our office. You will live life with us. We will teach you, Mark and I, as we work together on how to raise funds and how to cast a vision for people, how to secure a place to meet, all of the different steps that it would take to be able to wrestle through the reality Am I a church planter or am I not? As a part of that program, we have been praying, we have been seeking men who will come apart, who will journey on with Matthias Lot, and who will plant a church. Through this program, if God has called you to plant a church and we affirm that calling and you believe that you have that calling, the intention, the goal would be that you would be sent out from Matthias Lot and you would indeed plant a church. And not only that, but we would send resources to go with you. And we would send people to go with you because it's not about Matthias Lot. It's about the kingdom. And we want to be a part of church planting for the gospel for future impact of people, of friends, being able to hear the gospel. We want to be a church that invests our money in making friends for the Lord. And because of that, we've been seeking a man. We've been seeking a person to be a part of this. And recently, we connected with a guy. And his name is Noah. And we, as elders, have all affirmed that we believe that Noah indeed has a call to plant a church and his vision aligns with our vision. He's been through the Acts 29 assessment. He's been approved through that as long as he comes and he does this internship. And we want to be a part of this journey with him. We're not saying today that Noah for sure is going to be leaving in a year and planting a church and that we'll be sending resources and all these things with him. But what we are saying is that's the hope. Does that get you guys excited? So... Noah's begin to raise support for this internship. You see, the way that our internships work is you have to have 80% of the support either committed or raised. And he's got a daunting task ahead of him to be able to raise a salary for him and his wife to be able to come here and to be able to rent a place to live or buy a place to live and to be able to eat and to be able to have money for insurance and all these different things. So he's been going out on his own and he's been asking people, casting a vision for an internship and a church plant, praying to God that they will 
and give him the money that he needs that they will equip him to plant this church. The very first meeting that Noah goes to is a family friend. His name is Ron. Ron is a man who, from what Noah told me today, does not have a college degree. He is a self-made man blessed by God's hand who has accumulated a whole bunch of jack. All right, let's just say it that way. The guy owns an airline, I think. He owns several, I don't even know how you own an airline. He has several businesses, again, like no college degree. He has been blessed by the hand of God to have a whole bunch of resources. And he is shrewd. Here's why I believe this guy is shrewd and why I tell you this story so that we can learn from him. As Noah sits down and he casts the vision for how much money he needs, this man has the ability to write a large check. And he tells Noah, I believe in the vision. I believe in your calling. I want to give you $25,000 to go to Matthias Lot and to start their internship so you can plant a church. Would you guys love it if somebody just wrote you a check for $25,000? That'd be pretty sweet. Noah's going to work for it, I promise, right? So, he's, so here's this commitment for $25,000, but guess what Ron does? Because Ron is a shrewd man. He does not just think about his own money. He doesn't just think about wanting to try to give this check to Noah so that Noah can be happy. He doesn't have any sights set on his flesh or on Noah's flesh. What he does is he says, I'm going to give you $25,000, but the way I'm going to give it is I'm committing it to you. And every time somebody gives you a check for $100, for $1,000, for $10,000, I'm going to match that money up to $25,000. You see what he did? The very first gift that Noah got was a gift that would help him to get the rest of the money. That Ron did not have his interest in mind. He had Noah's internship in mind. He had kingdom stuff in mind. And that's why he said, I'm going to give you $25,000, but you're not going to get it all until you raise the rest of it. And every time you raise $100, I'm going to match it all the way up to $25,000. Friends, That is an example of a shrewd man. And the reason that he can do that is because he has been shrewd all of his life thinking of the right way that he can invest in kingdom work so that God can be glorified and he can receive joy and satisfaction from knowing that he's been a part of God's good work. That's a man that we can look up to and we can celebrate what he is doing. Now, I share all that with you guys to say that we as a church body need to learn how to be shrewd with God's resources. On your notes, you have another question that says this. Are you being shrewd with God's money? Are you being shrewd with God's money? When you go out around the town, when you go into the mall, Are you having it in your mind that you are a steward of God's possessions and that your intention with God's possessions is that you will free yourself like Ron has freed himself into being able to give for kingdom work so that the gospel can go out into all the world? Tonight, as we get ready to close here, I want there to be some very, very simple understandings that each of us has. 
We each, every single person in this world, is merely a manager of the resources that God has given us. Many of you tonight are sitting here saying, I'm not wrong. Like, I don't have uh, airlines. I don't have all these businesses that I can just throw money around. I'm a college student. I make $5,000 a year. Like, I have to eat at my parents' house just so I can make it. I've got four kids. Every bit of money that we have is being taken. Here's the deal. The question is not how much money you have been given to be the manager of. The question is, how are you using the money that you've been given? When you're held to an account, when God calls you into the time of judgment, and you have to give an account for the way that you've lived your life, the question that He's not going to ask is, how much money I gave you? He knows that, right? The question that He's going to ask, what did you do with the resources that I gave you? Every time that you were in the store, every time that you were living your life, were you keeping it in your mind that I am the master, that you are the manager, and that I am giving you these resources to enjoy as you go out and make friends for the gospel? Is that what you kept in mind? You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 affirms to us, read this passage with me, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What is done in the body is everything that we do today. In believer, non-believer, be certain, we are going to sit before Christ and we will answer even to what have we done with our resources that he's given us to be the manager's of as we sit there in that judgment the question that is going to be the deciding factor will not be what did you do with your resources it's going to be did you know jesus right that's going to be the primary focus that's going to be the question but tonight don't hold on to that and say well i know jesus and if that's what's going to be the question then i don't have to worry about the rest If you know Jesus, then you will follow His ways. This teaching is for disciples. And if we are going to be followers of Jesus as a church, as Matthias Lot, then we are going to be called to bear fruit out of what we've learned through Scripture. We're held responsible. May we be a church that comes together and says we are going to be shrewd with our money so that we can make a kingdom impact in the world. That's what each of us are called to do. So the last thing on your notes, if you'll look there, Christ's followers are to spend God's money for God's glory. That's it. It is so simple. As a community, as an individual, the call on your life, never let this escape your person that we are to invest God's money for God's glory. And when we do that, and when we keep that in our mind, we will be shrewd with the resources that God has blessed us with. Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now, God, that if there is any sense of waste in our family, in my life, in the lives of my brothers and my sisters, God, I pray that you would deeply convict us. And God, you would help us to see 
that we need to be shrewd for your glory so that we can free up the pennies, the dollars, the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we will have over this life so that we can give it to your glory and for your namesake. God, I pray that you would help us as a church to stop being stupid with money. God, that you would help us to be wise for your benefit and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you've uh, been in a coffee shop or uh, sitting randomly in your home den. And uh, like all of a sudden you have this thought and you know it's not in and of yourself. You know, like it's almost, it almost grabs you because it seems so brilliant. And so you reach for a napkin, you know, or just something that you can write this thought on so that you can capture it. You write it in your journal, you, uh, whatever you can do just to like capture this. And then what's crazy is like once in a while, those random thoughts, those visions come true, right? It's like you're sitting and all of a sudden you watch what you wrote down on that napkin happen. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my, like this is so unbelievable. And like Jason's already shared, um, for us, even at Matthias, there was a piece of paper where uh, the two of us and Jeff later were sitting around literally just jotting what the church would look like, the things, the values that it would have, the people that it would draw, all of these things and scratched like all over the place. And it has been a blessing, friends, to watch all of these aspects, not all of them, but a lot of them come to fruition, especially in the center of that paper was a word written love. And to watch each of us be on an authentic journey despite our depravity, learning better what it means to love God and to love people. That has been beautiful. But one of the pieces on that piece of paper that was written was that we would be a church that would not be about Matthias's lot. In fact, that our name would be diminished and God's name would be glorified and recognizing that in Matthew 28, before Jesus is resurrected, he tells the disciples, therefore I tell you, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What he calls these eleven to do is to go and tell everyone what he has done in their life, essentially replicating themselves. We, let's put it this way. He called them to make disciples who are making disciples. Here as a church, as a church plant, we believe that one of the best ways to do that is to invest into church planting, is to take this vision that God has blessed us with, and He's blessed us with it, hasn't He? And to take it and to be able to pour into others, to encourage others, to better share our experience with others. Not because we at Matthias's lot have the answers. Look to us. We, we are, we're doing it all perfectly. We're doing it all right. No, no, no. But to say, you know what? Here, here's the deal. God did his thing here and is doing his thing here. And if you would like to come and just be a part of that so that you can be better encouraged on when he calls you to do your thing, let's go. And so like Jason has shared, friends, this guy named Noah, um, God has brought into our midst. And he still has to raise his funds. There's no guarantee that he'll even show up here. Like he's still kind of this blip on a radar screen. But tonight we want to introduce him to you so that you can connect with him because... As a church, 
if we desire to plant churches. And three years ago, it was within three years, we'll do this again. And praise God, here we are, two and a half years into this church plant, and God has provided us an opportunity to bring on a church planting intern, to pour into his life as he pours into ours, to journey together to see what God would have with us. When I was uh, 21 years old, I met this young blonde punk named Noah Oldham. He uh, was a freshman at McHenry when I was a senior, a football player, and to be honest, uh, one of the most arrogant guys I had ever met, uh, spiritually. I mean, this was the guy that if, if in class, uh, there, like, like evolution came up in class, I mean, he would like go over to his book bag and like put on his boxing gloves. You know what I mean? I mean, he was that guy. He was the guy that if there was a fight to fight, I mean, he was fighting. I mean, this guy was just, he was, he would write newspaper articles. I mean, this guy just was known on the campus for just fighting these wars, you know. And I had the opportunity for a year to pour into his life and disciple him. And begin to break down this idea of, dude, you don't always have to fight. In fact, why don't you let him fight your battles for you? We were in the same college Bible study that Jeff Brzezinski was in as well. And before he came to meet with us, I shared with the guys, I was like, look, Noah is the most amazing balance of passion and intellect. The dude is smart. The dude has a tremendous passion for the Lord. And I said, here's my one concern. My one concern is that he has always been this guy that just wants to fight all the time. Like he just, he's just not a peacemaker ever. You know, he's, he was on the, the, news, uh, the news station down in Florida not too long ago for one of these debates. And I said, here's what we're going to be looking for. We're going to be looking for if this guy has humbled himself and is just desirous to learn and to grow. And friends, with the confidence of Jeff, Jason, and I, we sat across from this brother And for 24 hours, we were just blown away with his humility. As we've studied in Luke, like what it means to not serve yourself, but to serve a God. I can tell you that since this young punk, like many of us at 18, like think we're just going to take the world by a storm. God has had Noah on on an incredibly humbling journey. And we, with all confidence, have called him here just to say, you know what, like let's journey together and let's discern. And we know you're called to plant a church and let's just see what that looks like. So we've prepared a little video for you just to better meet him and to see his heart. And I just want to share with you that one of the traits that we love the most is a guy who breeds humility. At 18, he didn't. The friends with all confidence in the world, Noah Oldham, this guy that has been called here to be a church planning intern, breeds the humility of Jesus. Check it out. This is Noah. On October 29, 2001, God called me to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even back then I knew that God was calling me to something radical, to something different. So it didn't come by surprise in August of 2006 that God called us to plant a church. God had been burdening our hearts that the church should be a group of people who love God and love people with all they are and with all they have. See, there's this post-Christian, post-modern generation that needs to hear the gospel, but sadly they aren't. We are called to this generation. The gospel is being drowned out by programs, committees, irrelevancy, and sometimes even hypocrisy. We believe the gospel isn't just something you believe, but something you obey and something you live. The gospel should change us, and by doing so, it will change the world. After months of prayer and research, we got assessed by the Acts 29 network. And almost a year ago, while living south of St. Louis, we visited Matthias Lott a few times. 
Immediately we fell in love with the people and knew that this was the type of church that we wanted to plant. We sense the deep commitment to community that you all hold. When as strangers, we were welcomed, pursued, and loved for no reason at all. You guys were being the church. Matthias Lot is a church that shares our heart and vision. Tonight at Matthias Lot, if there's one thing that you know about our church, is that when we share a message, we pray that God will lead us, that He will teach us, that He will convict us, and that we always desire to provide an opportunity for response. And tonight, we believe that that opportunity is to be this. There are some cards that should be coming around to you right now. And on each one of these cards, what you're going to see is at the top, and I'm going to have the worship band come up and be with us right now too, but on these cards, what you are going to see at the top is taking a shrewd man up on his offer. That's what it says. Because this is the deal, as we've learned about what it means to be shrewd as a body tonight, what it means to take our resources that all of us have been given and invest them in kingdom stuff, we believe that as a church, tonight we need a way to respond to what God is doing. Whether He has blessed you with $100,000 a year, or whether He's blessed you with $10,000 a year as a college student, it doesn't matter. The reality is every single one of us is called to be a steward. All we are are managers of the Master's funds. Everything that you have is the Master's money. And so tonight, we are giving you, our body, an opportunity to take a shrewd man named Ron that lives in Florida up on the offer to try to get some of this $25,000 that he has committed to get Noah here. If tonight, if our body could come up with being able to give, let's just say, $2,000, if that was it then we would have $4,000 total. Our money would be doubled and we would be that much closer to being able to plant our first church if that's what God would have us do. Guys, this is an exciting, exciting night in our body. And tonight we are presenting before you an opportunity to be a part of a vision that is so much bigger than Jeff or Mark or myself. It's bigger than all of us. And I know it's a stretch. I know that money's tight. I'm not trying to talk you into it. I'm asking you to let the Spirit lead and let the Spirit show you exactly what you're to do tonight. So whether that's that you want to give a one-time gift, whether that is that you want to make a commitment that you're going to pledge $50 or $100 a month to being sure that Noah can come and he can plant his church, whether that means tonight that you just feel called to be a prayer partner and to continue to discern your role in this or you're discerning a role in another way to invest some money, whatever the case may be, you know tonight that when you come to Matthias Lot, you're only going to hear about money if the Bible's talking about money, and it did tonight. And so tonight, may we step up to the task and be the church that God has called us to be managing His resources for His glory so that we could be satisfied in His work. Tonight, after you fill out this card, during this time of response, and as Brandon's going to lead us in worship, at the end of the night, we just ask you to take it and put it in the joy box in the back. And then we'll continue to pray and to be excited about the work that God's doing in our body. Father, God, I pray tonight that it would be your spirit that leads us as we sign these cards. If it's our flesh and we commit a large amount of money, it'll be wrong. If it's that our flesh that we commit no money, it'll be wrong. God, I pray that it's your spirit 
and your Holy Spirit leads us and convicts us in the resources that we are managing for you. And I pray that you would continue to show us that all we have is yours. And that's a wonderful thing. In Jesus' name.